This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 38. And Elisha came again to Gilgal. There was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophet were sitting before him, or they were, uh, excuse me, the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said unto his servants, Set all the great pot, and seed pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild gourds his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew that none. So they poured out for the men to eat. And it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. But he said, Then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot and said, Pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Father, tonight, I claim before the people, and you know inside of my heart I feel the same way, all will be vain unless you anoint me. All will be vain unless you touch me. I can do nothing without you. But I know that with you, I can do all things. So tonight, anoint my lips. God, loose my mind. Fill me with the Spirit of the living God. Give me a backbone, but God, more than that, give me the heart of Jesus Christ. God, fill me with tenderness and compassion. And I'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated tonight under the tabernacle. I want you to look at verse number 40 at that little phrase, there is death in the pot. You come to 2 Kings chapter number 4 and you are starting into the life of the second prophet, this man named Elisha. Elisha had a mentor. His name was Elijah. Elijah had passed the mantle from one man to another. And now Elisha has taken up the mantle and he is starting in the ministry. In chapter number 4, there are five miracles of Elijah. Five, the number of the grace of God. Therefore, you know that this man is going to have a different type of ministry. There are five different miracles that take place. Five different miracles that transpire. Five different things that take place. We have come now and we read about the fourth miracle of Elisha. The Bible says that there is a famine in the land. And this famine goes from north to south. It goes from east to west. Now, whenever the Bible says that there is a dearth, that is different than a famine that takes place in the land. A dearth, whenever a dearth comes into the land, that normally comes because of a lack of rain. That normally comes because of a lack of abundance of water to fill the land in order to grow crops. Whenever you read about a famine in the land, that's a twofold aspect. 
It's not just the lack of rain, but it's also the ground not giving up its fruit, its herb. Remember, the Bible says that by the sweat of man's brow would the land yield forth the produce. But whenever the land would not yield forth the produce, that is sin, meaning that it is abounding so thick across the land that not even man can do something about it. Now here whenever you read about a dearth in the land, that means that the heavens are not giving up their rain. It means that the heavens are not springing forth. And so the Bible says that there is this lack of rain, this lack of produce, this lack of everything that's going on. So the sons of the prophets get together and they say, Elisha, we've got to eat. So the only thing that we can do is what you do whenever there's hard time. Not everybody can have meat and potatoes. Not everybody can have a piece of chicken and a chicken leg. You've got to make a little bit go a long way. And how many rednecks know one good way to make a little bit go a long way is to make a pot of stew. Man, my grandmother could make three, bean, three green beans and two ears of corn feed an entire army because she would mix it together in a pot of stew. Well, one of the sons of the prophets, this is what they say. They say, here we go again. We've got to have stew again. We've got to have a pot of stew one more time. Somebody needs to spice it up a little bit. We're tired of the same old, same old, same old. So they say, we're going to go. And they go out in the field to pick some herbs. And one of the sons of the prophet sneaks off to the side out in the middle of Gilgal. And he picks what the Bible says is a wild vine. That wild vine is taken and it's chopped up there and it's after it's chopped up, it's thrown in the pot. But what they did not realize is that vine that they had chopped up and the gourds that came from that wild vine, they were poisonous and whenever they put that poisonous bitter herb, that poisonous bitter fruit inside of the pot, it contaminated the entire pot. Now everybody is going to be poisoned because one man wanted to spice it up a little bit because one man was not satisfied with the same old, same old. Not one man being dissatisfied has now contaminated the entire pot of stew. Ladies and gentlemen, here is what God tells you and I today. Do not be dissatisfied just because it's the same old, same old thing. It's the same old, same old thing that was going to give them sustenance. It was going to give them help. You see, here's what happens. After they find out there's death in the pot, they don't know what to do about it. But there was one faithful man. His name was Elisha. He knew what to do about it. He said, I don't know what you're so worried about. He said, go over there, grab a handful of meal, throw it in that pot of stew, and then pour out. And honey, they pour out that entire pot of stew and everybody says this is the best thing we have ever had in our entire lives. Now there is a picture here because 1 Corinthians tells us everything in the Old Testament is given for our admonition in the New Testament. So here are the pictures that are found. There are four pictures found here in this story. Number one, there is the picture we find in the pot. That picture of the pot, that's a picture of our spiritual sustenance. It is that 
that which God gives us to survive in the dearth that we live in. Ladies and gentlemen, we do not live in this world. We are merely passing through this world and this world, it is in a spiritual dearth. There is not much bread in the land. There is not much fruit in the land. There's not much food in the land. But God always makes sure that His faithful remnant has something spiritual to eat in this dry and barren land. I am thankful right now that there is a God in heaven that will raise up men and women, that will raise up teachers and preachers, that will raise up people across the way, that will minister to you and feed your soul and bless you with their songs and with their words. Is anybody else thankful that the day and hour that we live in, when there's dearth on the right hand and dearth on the left hand, that you can have a place? I don't care if it's a big church. I don't care if it's a little church. I don't care if they got polka dots on the wall. I don't care if it's Pepto-Bismol pink. I don't care if they get up there and they stutter and they stammer or if they flip and they flop. If they lift up the Lord Jesus and they feed your soul with the bread from another world, you ought to give thanks to the God of heaven because you've been given spiritual sustenance. Number two, the second type in that story, it's, type, it's typified in Elisha. Elisha is a picture of the Holy Ghost of God. How do we know? Because if Elijah did one thing, Elisha did double those things. Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to send one to you and you're going to do far more through him than I ever did on this earth. You see, whenever they needed to know what the answer was, they went to Elisha. Whenever they needed to know how to cure the poison, they went to Elisha. Ladies and gentlemen, right now, we've got the sweet Holy Ghost burning in our soul right now. And he tells us what's right, and he tells us what's wrong, and he tells us what's good, and he tells us what's bad, and he tells us how to get there, and he tells us how not to get there. Ladies and gentlemen, there are two guides in your life, the Word of the living God and the Spirit of the living God that takes the Word of the living God and guides your feet wherever they go. Ladies and gentlemen, I promise you right now, we are not being led astray by the Holy Ghost. We're being led astray by our own flesh. We're not being led astray because God's not. I don't know where we got this idea that the Holy Ghost doesn't speak to his people. Honey, how in the world did we know that we were supposed to get saved if he did not call our name? I'll tell you what it is. We have filled our ears with everything that is not the voice of God. We filled our ears with social media, filled our ears with TV, filled our ears with everybody else's opinion, filled our ears with what the flesh says, filled our ears with what's popular, but the Holy Ghost, if you'll listen to Him, He'll guide you in the path that you're to walk in. The third picture is this. It's found in that wild vine. That wild vine, it's picture of the tricks of the devil. What was that wild vine? That wild vine, do you, if you look it up in your concordance, do you know what that word wild vine literally means? It means the vine of Sodom. You see, the vine of Sodom, it was a fruit, a gourd that grew in the desert and it would, it would grow up from the dry sand. That fruit, it was the only fruit that would grow up out of the dry sand. You know what they'd say? They'd say, well, look, if it can survive the dearth, it must be good to eat. Brothers and sisters, not everything that survives the dearth is good to eat. Man, they picked up that vine of Sodom and they chopped it up and they threw it in the pot. Do you know the problem with the vine of Sodom? 
The only way that it shows its true colors is when it hits the heat. When it's outside of the fire, it smells really good. It's got a sappy feel to it. It feels like something sweet. But when it hits the fire, that's when it releases the poison. Brothers and sisters, that's the trick of the devil. It all looks real pretty, and it smells real pretty, and it's a good idea to bring into our churches, and it's a good idea to bring into our marriages. Man, we're tired of the ho-hum, humdrum of everything else. I'm tired of the ho-hum this, and I'm tired of the whole. It's time to spice it up a little bit. It's time to spice it up with our kids a little bit. It's time to spice it up with our marriages a little bit. It's time to spice it up with our friends and family. And what we don't realize is when it finally hits the fire in our lives, it brings poison, and it brings death and that's the way the devil loves to operate do you know how you know it's the vine of Sodom it's the fruit of the devil it's easy to get to it's e listen the right thing takes hard work the right thing takes hard work you realize in Bible deserts there's two fruits that grow there's the vine of Sodom that grows on the ground but then there's what's called a date palm if you've ever been to the Holy Land, the date palm, it's a date. And it comes off of like a fig. And it's got a real sappy, sweet flavor to it. It's got a pit in the center of it. And you can eat that thing. And I'm telling you, it is the sweetest thing you'll ever put in your mouth. You can be thirsty and eat that thing. And it'll quench your thirst. You can eat, be so hungry and eat that thing. And it'll raise your blood sugar up. Do you know why that thing is not poisonous? I'll tell you why. Because it got elevated on a tree. It grows up at the top of the palm tree. And because it got elevated on a tree, it grew up in a dry and a barren land. But honey, because it was lifted up on the tree, it is worthy to be put in my soul and yours. Honey, right now, there's a fruit that grew in this land, in this world, and it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what made him wonderful? Was the fact that he was willing to be raised up on a tree and because he was put up on a tree he died for you and died for me and now he'll quench the thirsty heart and he'll feel the hungry belly all because he was lifted up on a tree but that was hard that was difficult salvation that is not bloody is not salvation salvation that did not cost is not salvation there's a fourth type it's typified in the meal M-E-A L. You know what meal is? Meal is ground up flour. If you're a young it's flour, but it's flour around here. Flour. Do you know how flour is made? F-L-O-U-R. Flour, you know how flour. Some of y'all are looking right now, you have no idea what flour is. There, there, there's so many of us men in here, we ain't seen a biscuit be made out of a real pot of flour in a long time. Boys, let me tell you something right now. I am married. She has got to be one of the sweetest girls you'll ever meet. Kind. She is just as even killed. And she told me, she said, I can make it. I can make it. I can make it. I said, what can you make, baby? She said, reservations. <laughs> and fellas, let me help you with something right quick. If you ain't married, I'm going to give you some real fine marriage advice. Anything that sounds like when it opens is not homemade. That is called Pillsbury. <laughs> Do you know how you make flour? You take a grain of stalk and you pluck it from its natural environment. 
And then you take that flyer and you stick it between a rock and a hard place. And you start grinding. And when something gets plucked up from its natural environment and stuck between a rock and a hard place and ground together, it will create a powder. And when that powder is mixed with water, it will bring forth a bread. That bread will bring forth life. Do you know who that meal is? The meal is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. Honey, he was plucked out of his natural environment. His natural environment was the celestial city of God. It was the holy city of God. But he was willing to leave all of that and to come to another environment. And for 33 and one half years, we looked at him right where he was, but we were not satisfied with that. And nor was the holiness of God satisfied with that. So the meal of the life of the Lord Jesus was put between the rock of God's holiness and the hard place of our sinfulness and it ground together and what the devil meant for evil God brought it forth in good and he was put down in that grave and Romans chapter 8 verse number 12 says on that third and appointed day the spirit of God went into that dark place and when the water of the spirit of God mixed with the death of the Lord Jesus he brought forth life and when those two things met together you can take the Lord Lord Jesus Christ and apply him to any death pot that you have. You can apply him to the death pot of a bad marriage, the death pot of a rotten child, the death pot of a messed up family, the death pot of a dead church, the death pot of a dying nation, the death pot of a situation that you've got no hope for. I am just old fashioned enough to say that anything you need, Jesus is the answer. And when you sprinkle him in to however you need to sprinkle him in, some of you need to sprinkle him so much that you just give everything you are to him. Some of you just need to get over the fact that you are not your own but you belong to him and stop fighting with him and give him all you got and throw in and throw it into God. But when the meal got put there, do you know what happened? That meal drew that poison out and it cured the pot. What's it going to take to get rid of the death in the pot? Now can I just get just mighty, 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 mighty practical for just a second. Everywhere we turn there's death in the pot. We're looking at death in the pot in our churches. People are coming to our... Don't you sit there and look at me like that. You know I'm telling it right. People come to our churches expecting to find sustenance in a dry and a barren land and they walk in and they take one spiritual sniff and the first thing they say, there's death in the pot. There's no life in this place. Can I help you with something? You are not spiritual sitting there looking like this. There ain't nothing spiritual about looking like you sucked on a lemon. People walk into the house of God and the first thing somebody says is, y'all pray for me, I ain't had time to practice. Well, this pot's about to give off some blessings. Somebody stands up to preach. Y'all pray for me, I ain't had no time to pray this week and we can't figure out why everybody that comes in Dead walks out dead. There's death in the pot. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time, men, we stood up to preach and people drunk and tasted of what the Holy Ghost brought through us and they walked out saying, I can't explain it to you, but there was life coming forth into my spirit from you. 
Now, I'm not trying to be mystical, but I'm going to be honest with you. I was a little boy, and I grew up under, I'm talking, I grew up under some old-fashioned, Holy Ghost, fire-breathing, snot-slinging, Church of God, Nazarene, Pentecostal, dyed-in-the-wool preachers. I'm talking, took a shower in a tie. They love God so much. I don't know if that's spiritual, but they did it. I'm talking Holy Ghost-filled. Does anybody remember a Holy Ghost-filled man anymore? And they couldn't read. And they couldn't write. You would listen to them read your verse. And it was pitiful. Shut that book. And they'd say, I got a little bit I need to talk about. And before you knew it, that old pot that they were stirring around in, honey, it didn't look like very much, but you got to sniffing what was coming out of that pot. And you said there's life inside of that pot. And before you knew it, you was a drawing a little closer and drawing a little bit closer. But now you know what we've got? We've got a bunch of church pots, and they look real pretty. And I mean, they've been buffed on the outside, like them copper pots you find at the Williams and Sonoma. And I mean, they've been buffed on the outside, and they look so pretty. You look at it and say, they ain't nothing ever been cooked good on the inside of that. In fact, they ain't ever been to the fire. It's still got the hue from the factory. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't need them buffed out pots anymore. We need somebody that's been in the fire and survived the heat and got life on the inside of them. It ain't about looking pretty. It ain't about acting pretty. It ain't about being accepted. It's about having life inside the pot. Now let's delve a little deeper. Our marriages are full of death in the pot. Our homes are full of death in the pot. There, listen, can I tell you what most, I, I don't know what every church service looks like, but I can prophesy what most car rides to church look like. About the most spiritual thing a man can do on a Sunday morning is drive separate. I'm going to tell you right now I have an issue with time I can't stand to be late I mean I, it just bothers me God bless my wife I have bought her Apple watches, iWatches, Google watches, Android watches. I bought her an alarm clock. I bought her a cooking clock. I bought her any kind of clock you can possibly think about buying somebody. The girl will be late for the rapture. Erica, we got to go, hon. 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 We got 10 more minutes. We got to, Erica, we got to go. Hon, we got five more minutes. Erica, we got to go. Erica, why ain't you ready? Erica, why in the world have you done your hair? Erica, I know how long. I'm almost ready. Erica, I know how long. I've been married to you for 15 years. I know how long it takes you to do that hair. I know that you ain't even started the second layer of foundation that goes upon that thing you call a face. I'm telling you right now, girlfriend, this ain't exactly. I know where this is going. And before I know it, now I've been up since 4.30 I have walked in the heavenlies I have seen the Shekinah glory of God I have heard the brush of the angel wings I have gone down to Biscuitville I have got my butter biscuit with strawberry jelly I have tasted the smuckers and I have been to the promised land honey I'm ready to charge hell with a squirt gun I got God 45 foot thick inside of my soul and by the time they wake up man I'm glad when they say unto me let us go into the house of God until she says, if you tell me to hurry up one more time, you're going to eat this makeup brush. So, fellas, I've learned, I just go sit in the car. 
And the other month, I got the bright idea. I grew a backbone, boys. I said, I'm going to honk his house. I'm going to honk his horn until she comes out of that house. Now, some of these new cars, these new Chevy cars, they sound like you put a weed eater on crack inside of that horn. That Toyota I've got, it's got a fog horn in it. It would wake the dead. And I laid on it. About three minutes after that, she came out of the house, had one eyelash up like that, had one falling off of her like that, had a curling iron wrapped around this, had that Dyson brush thing coming out this side. She had her dress. I mean, it was pitiful. And the whole way there, she said, let me tell you something, big boy. I'm telling you, if you raise your hands and act like you're full of the Holy Ghost, I'll call you a hypocrite in the house of God. I'll say you right now. I said, child, I'll tell you something right now. If you were really saved, she said, I said, if you were really saved, then you'd know I'm a man of God. She said, well, I may not be saved, but I'll see you when I get there. And don't you laugh at me. Your car rides look just like at the church because the demons take a break until Sunday morning when you're headed to that. And don't you sit there and look at me like that. You know I'm telling it right. And we swing that door open at church. And boys, we step out. Hey, everybody, God bless you. Good to see you in the house of God today. Aren't you glad when we got to go to the house of the Lord? Yeah. And then we can't figure out when we stand up before the people. We didn't even talk to our wives. I've met some preachers. They treated their wives like dogs. And we stand up. And we can't figure out why there's death in the pot. Our kids see us at church acting one way and then we go home and we treat them like they don't deserve our time. We treat them like they're not special enough for us to go to their ball games. They're not special enough for us to spend just a little bit of time playing a board game or playing something like that And because it's above us and there's death in the pots and we can't figure out why our kids go left and why our kids go right. Honey, there's death in the pot. But I remind you right now, it's not just in our churches and in our family, but there's death in the pot in our nation. Everything that's being put inside the pot in order to to stir this thing up and to spice it up a little bit more. I don't care what you voted for. I don't care how you voted. You know that there's elephants and there's donkeys that are throwing death inside of the pot. Right now they're putting it in there and they're thinking it's going to spice up their votes and they're thinking it's going to spice up their ability and they're thinking it's going to spice up their mindset and it's going to spice but it's just bringing more death into the pot. But I report to you right now that God still has an answer and there can be life in that pot at the end of this story Elisha said, don't you worry about it. You pour it out and there'll be life coming from that pot. What's it going to take to get the death out of the pot? I'll give you three things. I'll load them up, blow them out. You do with them what you want to do. The first thing it's going to take in order to have life instead of death in the pot, it's going to take a vicarious sacrifice. You see, it's going to take something that ain't in the pot in order to get the death in the pot out of the pot. So in order to get the death out of the pot, you got to find something that's not native to the pot. And if you get something outside of the pot and put it in the pot, it'll take what's in the pot and keep it in the pot when you pour out of the pot and the death stays in the pot. Enter the mill. Enter the flour. Enter that thing, and this is you got to understand. 
flyer ain't meant for stew. Fellas, if she puts flour in her stew, she put too much water in the pot. The only reason you put flour and meal in a pot is to thicken it up. You know what they did? Flour, it meant for a pot. Flour is meant for the fire. It's meant to be mixed with water. But you know what they said? They said it's not its intention, but it's willing to pay the price and go somewhere it's not meant to be in order for the death to come out of the pot. And here's what they did. They took that meal and they sprinkled it inside of that pot. If you'll notice, the Bible never says they stirred it in that pot. You see, it never got mixed into that pot. It never touched the dirty elements of that pot. You see, it stayed on top of that water. It stayed on top of that stew. And you know what it did? That when it was dry, son, it did not acclimate to the pot. It brought the death up to the surface and kept the death on top of the pot. And here's what happened. They went. How many of you have ever been to a real old-fashioned greasy spoon restaurant? I'm talking real deal clog your widow real deal greasy spoon. If you ever see a pool of grease on top of the pot Whenever they go to pour that, as long as they pour it slow enough, that grease will stay on top. Because the grease is lighter than the heavy stuff, so it stays on top. If you want the grease to stay on top, I'm going to tell you what my grandma used to do. Now, my mama didn't ever do it. My wife didn't do it. But I'm going to tell you what my grandma would do. She would take a dry piece of bread, and she would take that bread and she would set it on top of that grease. And she would sop that up. You don't even know the word sop. You ain't a redneck. She would sop that up. And then she would take it over and she would rake it across like that. And then she would take that greasy piece of bread and she would fry it in the frying pan. And you talk about blessings that flow from another world. But that's neither here nor there. Here's what they would do. They would take that meal and Elisha would have them sprinkle it on top. And when that meal got introduced to that pot, it drew up all that bitterness. And it drew up all that poison. And it drew up off of that death. And it drew up. You say, how long did it keep? drawing until it got done. It just kept throwing the mill in the pot and they kept skimming it off the top. And they threw the mill in the pot and they'd skim it off the top. And they throw the mill in the pot and they'd skim it off the top. You say, how much meal did it take? I don't know how much meal it took, but I know there was enough meal to take all the death out of that pot. Here's what I'm trying to tell somebody right now. The Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient to take care of every death and every disease and every problem and every issue. You say how much Jesus is it going to take in the nation I don't have any idea but he's enough to take care of whatever's needed in the nation how much Jesus is it going to take in my home I don't have near an idea but I know however much you need in your house he's got all you need to take care of the dead you say how much Jesus is it going to take in my church I don't have any idea but however much Jesus you need in your church he is enough to take care of it and I report to you right now that it's going to take the Lord Jesus Christ that he was willing to give everything he 
was. We've got to get back to him. We've got to keep looking at him. Don't stand up and try to impress the people. Don't stand up and try to sing their favorite song. Stand up, preach Jesus, sing Jesus, pray Jesus, talk Jesus, live Jesus, act like Jesus. Do everything you can because when the vicarious sacrifice is placed in the dead pot, Life flows from that pot. Number two, it's not just going to take a vicarious sacrifice, but it also says it's going to take a vocal servant. Somebody had to say there was a problem. Can you imagine if Elisha was like most preachers today? Like most mamas and dads? I'm going to tell you something right now. If half of these youngins had grown up in my mama's house or my grandma, God help if they'd grown up in my grandmama's house. They wouldn't have ears. They wouldn't have front teeth. And she'd have done ripped their ever-loving heads off. We were in revival two weeks ago. And this little kid ran back and forth, just back and forth, pitching, just pitching a fit. Just pitching. A, my mama would have picked up a steel chair and would have stone-cold me right there, son. I'm telling you, stone-cold right there on the front row, and then Mankind and Mick Foley would have been right behind her with a DDT on the front. I'm talking... And she looked at him. She said, he's just a real expressive child. I said, I ain't raised all children, but I got two. And you better take care of some of that expressiveness right now, or he's going to be expressive. We don't want to hurt his feelings. Now listen to me. Preachers, because we're afraid of being mean, we don't tell people what the real problem is. I'm not a mean preacher. I, I am not a mean preacher. I can't take mean preachers. If you are a mean junkyard dog preacher, you don't know the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible met a woman taken in the act of adultery and he took the stones out of the hands of the people and he knelt down beside her and he wrote forgiveness and blessings in the sand and he said, where are your accusers, lady? He said, I'm not, I'm not accusing you either or condemning you. Go and sin no more. If it had been most preachers, they'd have ripped her a new one. But he did tell her, go and do no more. Too many times, men, we're afraid to look in our marriages and say, Honey, something ain't right. Now, I'm probably the one that let it in, but something ain't right. We're not being kind and tender-hearted to one another. Something ain't right. There's death in the pot. But somebody's got to speak up and say something about it. Sometimes we've got to look at our children and we've got to say, Bubba, I'm sorry, pal. We're not going to do that like they do that. Honey, that, that, that ain't good for you. And they're going to get rip-roaring mad and they're going to say all types of things. But you know what? I would rather them get mad at me because I wouldn't let them eat from the pot than if they ate from that death pot and they had a poet. It's going to take somebody to say, I'm sorry. They walked up to Elisha and said, Elisha, there's death in the pot. They said, I don't know why you're telling me about it. You're the one that put it in there. Bring me the meal. You see, that's how you treat every problem. Too many times we call out problems. Don't give people problems. Show them the problem and then tell them the solution. 
Don't, don't, don't tell your wife you're the issue. Don't tell your husband if you would do... No, we don't do that. We say there is a problem. But here is the answer. In our churches, men, we don't just get up and say, Boy, it's dead in here. We stand up and say, Church, there's no life. But if we'll get on our face before a holy God, life will return. Preachers, I am firmly, I am a firm believer that many times our churches are waiting on us to get honest and the Holy Ghost will breathe when somebody gets honest again. Stand up on a Sunday and say, God, I can't take the death in the pot anymore. I can't, I can't handle the deadness in the pot anymore. Lord, if it's me, show me. It's going to take a vocal servant. It's going to take somebody standing up in the land saying, it ain't right. It ain't good. It ain't right. And the answer is still Jesus Christ. Now you're going to be canceled. We're going to be laughed at. We're going to be talked about. They're going to call you everything under the sun. They're going to rip you off of social media. They're going to take you off of YouTube. They'll pull us off of TV. But that may be the price that we have to pay. Our forefathers in the Baptist world, they were willing to have their heads sliced off because right was right and wrong was wrong. And our ancestors, our forefathers, were willing to pay a heavy price in order to do what was right. I don't want it. I'm not asking for it. But may God help us to be willing to pay it if we have to. Here's the third thing it's going to take. It'll take a vicarious sacrifice. It'll take a vocal servant. But number three, it's going to take a visible step. Can I help you with something? Jesus is the answer. But you've got to do something with the answer. Faith without works is dead. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but I do believe that given it shall be given unto you, good measure pressed together, shut run. I believe it. But too many times we want God to bless it before we give it. It just don't work that way. A lot of times we want God to heal our marriages, but we're not willing to take a step. We want God to heal our churches. But we don't want to do anything that will rock the boat. A lot of people want to get saved. But they won't take the step. You have to call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus will save you where you are, but you've got to do something with the call He's bringing to you. Boy, I wish I could tell you I had all the answers. In fact, I wish I could tell you I had a answer. But I'm telling you every day I wake up, I am faced with more I don't know than I do know. A year and a half ago, Brother Tom, God had blessed the church and God had grown the church. and I mean, just I could not believe. I couldn't believe God let me pastor something like that. You've got to understand, beloved, I didn't grow up like this. I didn't grow, my daddy's a firefighter. My mama's a secretary. We didn't grow up like this. I don't have camp meeting fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers. My grandmama spoke in tongues, but it was the kind she talked in the tobacco field when she was a whipping your tail. It wasn't the kind you heard in church. You know what kind of tongues I'm talking about when she's a wearing you out with a leather belt. You don't talk about them things in church, man. I didn't grow up in all this, brother. I didn't, I didn't know anything about this. 
I knew nothing about all this. I could not believe God let me pastor that. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I was happy there. I would, I would have died there. When I take, we didn't have, we had the little problems here. Look, we had good people. I am not that kind of preacher. We had wonderful people. I can tell you the place I was. I can take you to the spot. God began to deal with me saying, it's time to go. I'll tell you how far out it was for me that God would say that. I actually rebuked the voice when it said it to me. Like Peter being so bold in the eyes of the Lord. I said, get thee behind. Devil, you won't rip me from the blessing of God. For a year and a half, David, I wrestled with God. God, how can I leave a blessing? God, how can I leave this? He said, it's time to go. Lord, this is a me- we've got a media ministry. We've got TV stations and we've got social media. We've got all this stuff. Lord, I don't even have cameras. How in the world are you going to have a TV program with no cameras? It's time to go. I was reading the Gospel of Luke one day when Jesus went out to the disciples on the boat. Listen to me, time out. Don't ask God to make it clear to you unless you're willing to take the step when He makes it clear to you. I read about Jesus getting on the boat with those disciples. And He said, it's time to launch out. Let's go get us a catch of fish. The Bible says they lower the nets and they catch so many fish that their nets almost break and they got to call in all these other little boats around them. And they go back to the shore. And this is what the Bible says. And they forsook all and followed Him. I'd always read that they forsook their nets. That's not what it said. You know what they left that day, David? They let the catch of a lifetime to follow God. And that morning in my recliner, the Holy Ghost said, you'll leave the catch of a lifetime to follow me. It commenced to an eight-week process where I wrestled with God for sign after sign after sign. God, if you'll give me a camera, I'll know this is your will. Guess how many cameras I got in that eight weeks? In fact, the camera on my iPhone broke during that eight weeks. God, if you'll just send me a check for somebody to pay for this stuff, I'll know that's you. Guess how many checks I got during that eight weeks? In fact, I had to write some checks during that eight weeks. January the 28th, we got back from the Holy Land. I looked at my wife in our kitchen. And I looked at Erica and I said, Babe, I don't know what to tell you, but it's time to go. She looked at me with tears in her eyes and we talked about it and talked about it. She said, if that's what God wants, that's what we'll do. I had nothing. When I tell you I had nothing, I'm not trying to be preachery. I'm not trying to be evangelistically speaking. I'm telling you I had nothing. Nient, nunca, nada, nothing. But I said, God, if it means leaving it all, I guess that's just what I'll have to do. I stood up on February 5th in front of a congregation of people that were heartbroken. And I said, the Lord calls and we must go. We stepped out. Granted, I still ain't got no cameras, Patricia. I got nothing. 
I don't have a sound system. I don't have a microphone. I don't, listen, I don't even have a trailer. If I were to get that stuff, what am I going to do with it? But God doesn't call us to figure it out. He calls us to take a step. Over the course of the next four weeks, I wish I could tell you the miraculous things that happened. Check would come in. Another check would come in. Another check would come. I'll tell you the kind of God stuff we saw, Brother Tom. We started on a TV station in Morganton, West Virginia. I don't even know where that is, but it ain't around here. And the Holy Ghost told me to get on this TV station, on a Fox station, 8 a.m. in the morning. This is what we're supposed to do. I was waiting. Man, I just knew we were going we to blaze a revival trail through West Virginia. You know how many phone calls I got in the nine months we were on that station? None. I went off of it. Finally, the Lord said, it's fine, done. I went off that station. Brother Tom, we got, a, we got a letter from a lady in West Virginia when I stepped out. This would have been six months after we were off of that station. And it's what she said. She said, Reverend Galden, you don't know me and I don't know you other than what I watched you on TV. She said, my husband got cancer a year ago. And he wasn't able to go to church. And every Sunday morning he would watch you on TV. My husband died six months ago. And I've just settled his estate. And I'm sending you a check from some of the fruit of his labor during his life. And I opened up that check. And it was exactly what we had to have for the next thing. Now I stand before you tonight a humble servant of God. I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody. I ought to be in hell right now with my back broke frying like a piece of bacon. I don't deserve one blessing from God. But today, I stand before you. We've got a team of people here tonight, Brother Tom. Couldn't even stay in a hotel. Had to bring Matt, one of our staff guys. Had to bring Avery, one of our staff guys. All the cameras. I didn't buy that. Do you know what brought life from a pot where there was nothing? One person willing to take a step. What has God been challenging you to do? And you've been arguing with Him for some time, saying, show me a sign, show me a sign. God said, take a step, then I'll show you a sign. 